0: Hi everybody, welcome to the first instalment of the Paddock Pass podcast note show from the Austrian Grand Prix. Neil and I are sitting in the splendid tower above the main straight here at the Red Bull Ring and as usual, Neil, we're in one of the best media centres, it has to be said, of the whole championship. I can hear the chink of uh, china and cutlery behind me as people are tucking into the free food. Uh, have you devoured any of it?
1: I have. I had a roast beef dinner, sorry, a roast beef lunch, which um, you know usually points to a pretty good day if you're having that for lunch. Um, are you
0: missing Silverstone at all? Stop here, <laughs> well, on the wing this year was significantly better than the bunker, but uh, that's
1: not slagging off Silverstone. it's, no. a, it's a fine track, but uh, maybe not quite. Uh, I would say the views from the media center aren't quite what we have here.
0: It's always into a loser as well when it's you know, Red Bull Ring follows it, but uh, this is the first uh, you know paddock pass podcast note show as I mentioned of the weekend. Neil, and I will be talking every single night. Uh, well, if you're busy on deadline Sunday, Neil, maybe you can grab some words with David, who's uh, you know working from home, not joining us. He didn't fancy um, staying in his hut, I think, this year, or a yak or whatever it's called, a wigwam, something like that. A <laughs> uh, yurt. A yurt, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, what is a yak? Is, is, is that, is a, a yak is a, an animal. Is an animal. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he sliced it open. That's next of, year. Know, <laughs> yeah, hand Solo style and decided to cramble, cramble inside, then I guess... Uh, Yes. Anyway, moving swiftly on, um, you know, we're trying to get these Patreon shows out. We would like people to join up and listen to us. Um, You know, we've actually synced the shows up to Spotify now. So maybe people that are finding their podcast material through that platform, then welcome. Um, You know, the point of these shows, if people... Apologies to those who have been listening you know, for quite some time now. It's basically just to give some reactions, some thoughts, some insight from what's happened every day at MotoGP events. Of course, it's Thursday. It's largely media day. There's quite a lot of activation going on here in Austria, especially. It's been very warm. And, uh, Neil, there's, there's actually been a really good turnout of people already.
1: Yep, exactly. And just to point out and add, these Thursday shows are available for everyone to listen to. But if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, um, go over to patreon.com forward slash paddockpasspodcast. You can become a subscriber and uh, you can then listen to Friday's show And if you become a $10 a month subscriber You can listen to sun- Saturday and Sunday's show as well Or we'll be bringing you instant reaction from all the debriefs. So this is a little taster of what what is to come
0: well, actually, it's not really an accurate taster because especially on Sunday, we try to get words from somebody in pit lane, whether it's a team manager or a team coordinator, somebody giving some sort of reaction to what's happened, at, you know, in the race events through through the day. So, uh, you know, there will be some additional content as to, you know, just Neil and I bullshitting basically what from what we've seen or heard. But uh, but yeah, that is the, the premise of, of the note shows. So, um what can we talk about today? I think, um, you know, people have been referencing the 10 corner track here. It's it's the heaviest braking circuit on the calendar, um, you know, and considering the record here, you have to imagine that it's going to be heading Ducati's way now.
1: You would say that just looking at history. Um, I mean, Ducati have won every single MotoGP race here bar two. I think going back to 2016, of course, we had a double header in both 2020, 2021. Um, but, KTM have uh, won twice here. Is their home track. Uh, They've won twice in, I guess you could say, fortuitous circumstances. uh, Opportunistic, let's say, certainly with the rain in 2021 with Brad Binder. And then in 2020, the race was stopped and then Miguel Oliveira won the shortened restart. Um, But, you know, considering KTM's form this year and the characteristics of their bike, you would think that both Brad Binder and Jack Miller should be in the running this weekend. But I think... Everywhere we go, you're looking at Pecco, Bezecchi, and Martinez, three guys that surely will be there. And I think in the last like five, six races we've been at, they've been challengers more or less everywhere we've
0: gone. What's your take on Jorge Martin? Because he has a fantastic record at this track, but he hasn't been on the podium for the last two events. Is he entering that kind of, is he still in the kind of form where he's hit and miss?
1: I wouldn't say that. I would say he's been quite unfortunate in the last two races. I mean, he. he Messed up his qualifying at Assen, which is quite uncharacteristic of him. But you look at how he progressed through the field in in the the sprint and in the main race in Assen. He was he was there more or less in the, the fight for the podium in, in race in the, the the feature race, and then um, he got nerfed off track at Turn One at Silverstone. Um, he kind of came together with Brad Binder and then fought back to what sixth so you know it was a, a really good ride as well had he not been nerfed off maybe he would have been up fighting for the for the podium there as well so i think he's had the speed at the last two races just hasn't quite come together
0: yeah I mean we've seen some fantastic last lap last corner i mean you guys talked about it on the podcast show this week you know, it's a, it's a fantastic track. It's kind of simplistic in nature, but I think Marco bezzecchi was talking about it in, in the press conference by saying it's more complicated than it seems. And um, Bezecchi's saying that, you know, the heartbreaking nature of it suits his style. But um, it's interesting to see him describing that as one of his strengths, considering what happened to him at Silverstone. I mean, it was a, an error of breaking, really, that put him into the dirt and went to the gravel and uh, put him at something of a, a setback, certainly in terms of the championship picture at the moment.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely his mistake for going in a bit hot, but then also he was a bit unfortunate to catch Pekka Banya's slipstream um, as he was going into the corner, and then he wasn't de-accelerating as much as he should have been, and he had to basically, well, yeah, then the front the front just gave way. Um, so a little bit of misfortune, but definitely a mistake there. But yeah, this is like a, a track that's all about heavy acceleration. It's all about brakes. I think Brembo released some data today which said that Uh, Riders are heavy on the brakes here for 30 seconds every single lap Which amounts to 34% of the the lap time on the brakes Which I think is the highest on the entire calendar Um, So yeah, to be fast here It's all about braking very, very strongly And uh, yeah, basically squirting it out of the corner It's not such a uh, top speed reliant track That it maybe was when we came back here in 2016, for instance
0: yeah, we'll have an interview next week. Um, I did with, you know, uh, Brembo basically on the podcast for the, for the main show, um, after this Grand Prix. But, um, they were talking about the different styles of braking when it comes to different types of machinery and how Ducati is much more stable, have a much more focused entry into the corner of course Yamaha have a different motorcycle together they're not quite so demanding you know as the Ducati's per se and then of course the KTMs as we've seen at different racetracks this year are using a lot more rear brake a lot more of a different way to turn the motorcycle particularly in the case of Brad Binder and Jack Miller and it's fair to say Neil just because we're at the Austrian Grand Prix there's going to be a big spotlight on Rebel KTM this weekend
1: yeah of course like it's traditionally a a circuit where all of the the kind of the board the big boss comes to to watch um normally they come in on, on on saturday and they go out for dinner or have dinner at the track and then have some wine perhaps and start talking about some decisions that need to be made for the, the following year normally we have some kind of big announcement regarding the, the the next season with ktm here and sometimes it comes right out of the blue i think they announced just kind of off the cuff that they were withdrawn from model two here in 2019 no one saw that coming um so yeah, I'm not sure if something is in the pipeline this weekend, but yeah, big, big pressure, especially considering this has been, I think, KTM's strongest season of MotoGP to date. And they are on the cusp of, you know, they're, they're not consistent podium contenders. You feel that a few more small improvements and they could be consistent, uh, victory contenders. And, and, you know, doing it here would be, would be quite sensational.
0: Well, they consistently competitive? They're looking more and more like you know front runners every single week and different tracks and in different conditions. So I think that's the biggest upgrade that we've seen. But you're not know, exaggerating about the announcement. I think it was also here a couple of years ago when they decided that you know they would not continue their project with Johan Zarco. Uh, it was also the announcement about then uh, Danilo Petrucci came up, you know, during the Austrian Grand Prix, and of course, oh, yeah, if during we go back, FP4 wasn't. Yes. It? <laughs> yeah. If we go back to 2016, you know, we're sitting in the very room where Stefan Pira sat there and said you know, KTM are going to be winning in MotoGP in within five years, and, and you, you sniggered, know, and he was right,
1: and I heard you sniggering.
0: It wasn't me sniggering, but there were plenty. <laughs> was much sniggering going on. Um, you know, I mean, I've had, I've been lucky enough to see up close how much, how swiftly KTM moved through motocross and supercross, and how they installed a system and you know developed their machinery was such velocity that they they achieve some success of course Meta gps are, f- are far, a vastly different sphere but uh you know they the, the same principle was there and i think you know their their progression in this series is, is quite phenomenal so yeah it'll be interesting to see how they get on in the sprint um and you know i think even if we look at a different brand last year was another big announcement gas gas of course you know were unveiled as uh, you know essentially halving the KTM effort but just a rebranding exercise and Paul Spargaro was telling us today you how he believes that you know he wants to push up the level you know Silverstone was about getting his feet wet again in MotoGP but he was already talking about wanting to raise his performance levels at this particular circuit where he's done well in the past.
1: Yeah I think Silverstone was just about getting through it um, you know without crashing without Aggravating an injury without doing anything stupid, and that was actually a lot uh, harder to do than initially would have been thought, considering the, the conditions that we had right the way through the weekend. Um, and he was he was pretty competitive, quite impressive. Um, but this is about stepping it up. It's always been a, a good track for him historically. He very nearly won the race here in 2020. Um, came within what one corner of winning it. So yeah, this is a, a maybe a, a better place to gauge where where he's at and. He has to prove that he still has it. You know, this is a, this is another thing that is coming into his performance. He has to prove that he's deserving to keep his seat. He has a two-year contract, of course, which goes into next year. But everyone knows the situation with, with KTM's riders. Five men, basically, that they've got signed up for next year when there's only four seats currently. So, you know, Paul has it uh, all to prove again. Um, so, yeah, another one to, to kind of watch.
0: Well, that's the big story around KTM, isn't it? Uh can they get another bike on the grid? You know, can they satisfy the five riders, five, you know, premier riders that they have for, for 2024? And I don't think we're going to be getting any news soon. I think it also involves a much wider picture with Dorna.
1: Yeah. And I think Pip said that, said as much when he was interviewed by Service TV, Austrian or German television station. Uh, Austrian, yeah. Um They did like a, a preview for this weekend to show with Pit Byra and Mark Marquez was there as well. And um, yeah, Pit was basically saying that they're going to be in Dorna's offices after this weekend because obviously the next race is Barcelona. Barcelona is where Dorna's offices are based. So they're going to have meetings there. So this, uh, that, that said to me that they're not going to take Dorna's current answer of lying down. They're going to try and push and say, look, and you know, to be fair to them, they do a lot for this championship. They pr- provide the machinery for the majority of the Moto3 class. They provide the machinery for the Rebel Rookies. Northern um, Talent Cup. Yeah, Northern Talent Cup. They have a presence in Moto2 and, you know, a, a burgeoning presence in G P So, um, you know, they've got a, a bit of weight to throw behind their demands.
0: What about, you know, why would Dorna not want an extra bike on the grid? Do you think it's just a financial thing? P- probably,
1: yeah. I mean, we know that Dorna has to provide i think um each independent team with two something like 2.7 million euros per season uh, per bike just to support them to make sure that they can get through the year um, and you know cover the freight costs cover the travel costs things like this um i mean that is if they put another two bikes on the grid for an independent team it would uh it would be a, a lot of extra money also The kind of the independent teams that are in MotoGP now are locked in until I think the end of 2026 and this was something that was signed a few years ago so I guess they wouldn't want to open that up but there's always special circumstances in which you can work.
0: I think we're speculating of course but I think it's a similar situation to say maybe like a pay structure at a football club you know if you bring in a different player or some left-wing signing you cannot afford to shake up the establishment and the agreements and the philosophies that you already have when it comes to MotoGP. Why should Dorna perhaps adjust their whole structure for a, a, a one-rider Pedro Acosta effort that maybe fades away at the end of 2024 when you know Acosta slides into a contract gap that KTM have? Maybe, maybe it's something like that, or you know, the Espeletas want a, a firmer commitment from Australia that they, if they want another team, or if another team comes on the grid. And they're not already having negotiations with another manufacturer that's top secret and we don't know about then they're like they they want them to stay there it's, it's so the numbers aren't fluctuating every year it it could be any any number of these things
1: could be <laughs>
0: <laughs> in the spirit of uh, uh speculation but but um yes, um talking about other riders, Fabio Quara had a lengthy debrief with us today and the way he's describing the change in his mindset, it's similar to really Marquez and Juan anybody who's riding a Japanese bike at the moment, it's a case of testing improvement rather than results orientated. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And he's saying how he had to kind of switch his mind um, from thinking that he could maybe win or be on the podium to just looking at how he has performed over the weekend and whether he's got the best out of himself. I think it's safe to say that we haven't seen Anywhere near the best, probably a quarter hour this year. He's been well below the kind of form that we saw in previous years. But then Yamaha's way, way off as well. So that is fair. That's understandable. Um, so he's looking at just trying to find something to make some steps to get back to to where to where he was. And he knows that he's not going to. It's not going to be this weekend. It's not going to be next weekend. It's going to be a long thing. But just trying to get a little bit closer towards the front I think is now the the aim rather than saying like okay we want to be fighting for the podium here this weekend because he has done that in the past and he was fantastic here last year but um, yeah he was pretty harsh I think uh, pretty hard on Yamaha after the the British Grand Prix
0: and he semi-apologized for that he did
1: he He said something like Yamaha have one more chance basically to prove to me that they can do it Um, today
0: he said well maybe I was a little walked that back
1: a little bit yeah sure but um, yeah I mean you know it was then Jarvis, I think, told told GP1, Italian Italian website, in an interview that um, they're, they're fighting to sign Fabio up for longer than than next year. Um, he foresees Honda maybe coming for Fabio, if Mark leaves, when Mark leaves, I guess you could say, at the end of 2024. And, you know, Fabio wasn't exactly batting the, <laughs> these suggestions away. So, a lot can happen between now and then, but, um, yeah, obviously… Big, big, big things will have to come to the uh, Mizano test to prove to him that, you know, it's worth sticking around
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm beyond a, next year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the situation, Dram Mir gave a, I wouldn't say a concerning debrief today, but certainly a revealing one that he's had thoughts about his career, the direction of it. I, I had a an interview with him just before his debrief, and we were talking just about how, you know, a professional athlete approaches his sport and the kind of objectives that he sets and and how it affects his personal life and stuff. And then, you know, when he spoke to the wider group during his debrief, I mean, he was commenting uh, after a question by a colleague uh, in Nikki Kovac about, you know, retirement, which was not altogether surprising, but certainly eyebrow raising. Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, Joanne's, what, 25, 26? Uh, He was saying that earlier this year he was genuinely considering retirement, not considering leaving Honda, not considering a year off, not considering going to World Superbike, considering stopping completely. Obviously, he's made enough money in his career that he can survive for the rest of his days without having to work again. But for a guy that was a MotoGP world champion at the age of what, 22, 23, in his second every year, and only three years ago, oh, only three years ago. I mean, it's yeah. It speaks of it speaks volumes of uh, the predicament in which Honda finds itself. Um, surprised to hear that, but thankfully, it does sound as of the summer break has offered him the chance to recover his motivation as well as his physical condition and he was allude- he was comparing it to working in a job that you hate because you don't like your boss for a couple of years and if you quit you'll end up regretting it in 3 or 4 years time and that's what he was saying so um yeah just about getting his confidence back at the moment.
0: I mean, Mir could be classified as somebody that you you doesn't pop up on most fans' radar at the moment purely because of the the possibilities with the Honda, but also the results. But he's had a a unique kind of career, really. Now, I mean, two world titles in what four seasons? I mean, there's not many people that come along and and have that kind of impact in Moto three, you know, skip through Moto two so quickly, and then you know have again another major impact in Moto GP. So if Mir is talking about mid twenties, then I don't know. It's also the Acosta thing, where these guys are so young and achieving so much. Uh, you wouldn't expect them to be racing at like plus thirty.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have other examples of that. Um, riders now racing on, you know, a bit longer in their career. But um, but yeah, you. Uh, I guess it does indicate to you just the, the the pressure these guys are under, not just from manufacturers, but from themselves, if they're not riding up the front and there's no clear way towards the front in the next 12 months then you know that's a long time to be sort of counting down the races Um, so yeah it's slightly concerning
0: you know, I have to say how wonderful it is to see you bathed in sunlight here at uh, the Red Bull Ring. We've had some pretty wild weather here, uh, as we said, in previous Grand Prix. Since MotoGP came back to this uh, circuit in 2016, weather forecast looks good for the weekend. And uh, hopefully we'll get some stable conditions as FP1 gets underway tomorrow morning. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, as always, send us any comments or any feedback that, or any questions, indeed, that, you know, you want us to go through tomorrow and through Saturday and into Sunday. And we'll try to get them answered.